Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled Nemesis, where Miss Marple reads a letter addressed to her from an acquaintance she met while on vacation, who was also recently deceased, leaving instruction to investigate a crime. Only problem is he failed to explain who was involved or where and when the crime had been committed. This will be a five-part series. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Mr. Raphael, whom I had got to know during a holiday in the Caribbean, had left me a legacy of £20,000 in his will on condition that I investigated and solved a crime. I was given no indication of what this crime was, but simply sent off on a coach tour of historic houses and gardens, all expenses paid. None of my fellow passengers seemed to be obvious criminal suspects, but one of them, a Miss Temple, told me the story of a girl who had known the son of Mr. Raphael and whom she said had died of love. Was this perhaps the first clue to the mystery I was supposed to be investigating? We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's Nemesis. I was feeling a little tired and thought that I would miss out the afternoon visit to the church of Saints Peter and Paul with its 14th century glass and very peculiar bench ends. I put my feet up for a while and joined the others at tea time in the Tudor Rose Cafe. When I got there, two of my fellow passengers, Miss Cook and Miss Barrow, whom I was convinced that I had seen before, were engaged in animated conversation. You'd really wonder how they managed to get away with some of the things they carved on those bench ends. Not a Christian symbol to be seen, mermaid. And suddenly I recognised them. Miss Cook had had her hair dyed, but there was no mistaking her. I was determined to get to the bottom of it. more like a demon to me. Forgive me, but I am sure that we have met before. I've been wondering and wondering where it was. I don't know if you've ever stayed in my part of the world. I live in St. Mary Mead. St. Mary Mead? But of course, I was in my garden one day and you spoke to me as you were passing by on the path. Of course, how stupid of me. I do remember you now. We talked about how difficult it was to get anybody to do odd gardening jobs. You said you were staying with someone, I believe. That's right. I was staying with... With Mrs. Sutherland. No, no. It was... Mrs. Hastings. Such a coincidence meeting again so soon. Such a small world, isn't it? But a love of gardens does have a way of bringing people together, don't you think? Was it just chance, mere coincidence, or had there been some reason for Miss Cook to pass by my garden? Had she been sent there, and if so, why? But the following day all such thoughts were banished from my mind. I was wondering whether I would really be up to the next stage of the tour, which involved a long walk along a coastal path. Excuse me, but are you Miss Marple? Miss Jane Marple? Yes, I am. My name is Mrs. Glynn, Lavinia Glynn. 
I live near here at the old manor house with my sisters, and we heard that you would be staying here at the Golden Ball. You heard I was coming? Yes. A very old friend of ours wrote to us, oh, quite some time ago. But he asked us to make a note of the date and said a great friend of his would be coming here on the famous Houses and Gardens tour. Really? But I... I'm speaking of Mr. Raphael. Mr. Raphael? But you do know that he... That he died? Yes, I think it must have been very soon after he wrote to us. But we felt that made it particularly important to do what he had asked. He suggested that you might like to come and stay with us for a couple of nights. Oh, I see. My sisters and I would be so very pleased if you could come and stay with us. Our home's only ten minutes' walk from the hotel, and I'm sure we could show you some very interesting things locally. That is really most kind of you. I would be very pleased to come. Your room's on the first floor. I expect you'll be grateful for that. It's rather a rambling old barn of a place. Oh, it is a charming house, so beautifully proportioned, built in the 1700s, am I right? 1780. It was left to us by our uncle, Colonel Bradbury Scott. My sisters moved in shortly after his death, and I came here to live with them after I lost my husband. We should be very grateful for the place, I suppose, but oh, it's the devil to keep up. This is your room, Miss Marple. Oh, it's lovely. Can I help you unpack? Oh, no. I have brought very little. Well, as soon as you're ready, come down and meet my sisters. But take your time. There's no urgency about anything in this house. <laughs> Thank you. Hmm. Three sisters. It sounds very Russian. Distressed gentlewomen would be the term, I suppose, living by themselves in a decaying old house with a neglected garden. And all this has been arranged by Mr. Raphael. If only I understood what I am supposed to do. But perhaps I meant to find out for myself. Perhaps he did not want to influence me. But are these three ladies to be my allies? Or are they my enemies? Will you take a glass of sherry, Miss Marple? Oh, thank you. My sister, Anthea Bradbury Scott. I hope you won't consider it too dry. And my other sister, Clotilde. I don't know whether you like sitting rather high. So many people do. Oh, I certainly do. It's so much easier. One's back, you know. Oh, I do understand. I hate the kind of chairs that positively compel you to slump into them. But I will just get you a cushion. Oh, thank you. Oh, I don't think you would get They certainly are a very curious trio. Lavinia, tweed-suited and practical. Anthea, waif-like, a kind of aging Ophelia. And Clotilde, tall and handsome, she would have made a magnificent Clytemnestra, the kind who would have stabbed her husband to death without the least compunction, except that she has never had a husband. Our uncle had one son, you see, and he was killed in the war. We really are the last of the family. Such a lovely house. Your sister tells me it was built around 1780. Yes, Mid-Trojan. Of course, one could wish that it was not quite so large. So easy to lose one's way in. And so very difficult to keep up. Well, we've had to let quite a lot of it fall down. Well, sad, but there it is. The outhouses are in a frightful state. 
and the greenhouse crumbled away. Such a pretty greenhouse with a lovely muscat grapevine and cherry pie used to grow all along the walls inside. Oh, I miss it so much. Of course, during the war, we could not get gardeners and it was impossible to keep it repaired. The whole greenhouse just collapsed. During lunch, conversation lapsed into polite platitudes. There was something staged and unnatural about it all. Somehow, I managed to steer the talk around to Mr. Raphael. Was he an old friend of yours, Miss Marple? Not really. I met him when I was taking a holiday in the West Indies. He was out there for his health, I believe. The poor soul. He'd been severely crippled for years. Very sad. Though I really admired his strength of mind, he seemed to manage to do so much work. He refused to give in to being an invalid. Oh, no, he wouldn't. We didn't see much of him in the last years, though he always remembered us at Christmas very kindly. It was very good of him to suggest that you should invite me here. One wouldn't really have expected such a busy man to give his mind to things like that. Oh, we have had friends of his here who've been on the tour before. Some of the excursions can really be very taxing. Even going round old houses can be very tiring. You're quite right. So much walking and standing about. But it is such a temptation to look into another fine room and see the paintings and the furniture. And the gardens. You do like gardens, don't you? Oh, yes. The gardens are what I really look forward to. Perhaps you'd care to take a look at ours. It's rather gone to seed, of course. Oh, I'd like to very much. That's the greenhouse I was telling you about. Although you'd hardly know it was there at all now. It's so grown over. And that's where you had the grapevine. Three vines? And a heliotrope, you said? A cherry pie. Oh, such a lovely smell. What's the flowering creeper just coming into bloom? It's quite a common one. Polyb something. Of course. It's Polygonum bolshuanicum. A very quick grower, I believe. Very useful if you wish to conceal an ugly building or something of that kind. You, you really must come and see our magnolia tree. It, it's down here. There used to be a very fine herbaceous border here, but it was too difficult to keep up. Nothing is like it used to be. It's all spoiled everywhere and so overgrown. Ah, here's the magnolia. Yes, it's very fine. Do you often come on these tours? Oh, no, this is my first time. I was wondering why you chose to do it. They can be so very tiring. Still, if you usually go to the West Indies and places like but that... But I don't. The West Indies was a present from my nephew. Oh, I see. I don't know what one would do without the younger generation. They're so kind, are they not? I really don't know. We haven't any young relations. Does your sister, Mrs. Glynn, have any children? She didn't say, and one never likes to ask. Oh, no. She and her husband never had any children. Perhaps it was as well. What on earth did she mean by that? And why, having taken me to see the greenhouse, was she suddenly determined to steer me away from it? Hmm. There's something a little sinister about her for all her scattiness. The three weird sisters. Or am I just letting my imagination run away with me? 
but there is melancholy here in this place, as if it had somehow been deeply impregnated with sorrow. I brought you early morning tea, Miss Martha. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Just Sir. call me Amy. Everyone else does. Shall I draw your curtains? Please do. It's such a pity to waste the day. The people on your tour will have it nice and fine going up to the Bonaventure Rocks. Though it's as well you're not doing it. It can be very cruel on the legs. It was very kind of Mrs. Glynn and her sisters to ask me to stay here. Well, it's nice for them, too. It cheers them up to have a bit of company. Such nice ladies they are, too. Miss Anthea's a bit scatty, I suppose, but Miss Clotilde went to a university. She speaks three languages. And Mrs. Glynn's a very nice lady indeed. I thought that when she come here, things might go better. But you never know, do you, what the future holds? I feel sometimes as though there were a doom on this house. A doom? First, there was the plane crash in Spain. Two of Miss Clotilde's friends died in it. They were husband and wife. Their daughter was at school when it happened. And Miss Clotilde brought her here to live. She did everything for her. Treated her just like her own. Took her on trips abroad. She was such a happy girl. You'd never dream that such an awful thing could happen. What awful thing? Did it happen here? This is where it began, you might say. It was here that she met him. The ladies knew his father and he came here to visit. That was the beginning. She fell in love with him straight away. He was an attractive-looking boy with a nice way of talking. You'd never think for a moment... I think I may have heard something about that. A love affair that went wrong. And the girl committed suicide? Suicide? Whoever told you that? It was murder. The poor soul was strangled. Oh, how horrible. They found her in a disused quarry a good 30 miles from here. Miss Clotilde had to go and identify the body. She's never been quite the same since. The poor woman. And it's believed that it wasn't the first murder he'd done. There'd been other girls. He was a devil right through. What happened to him? Ah, oh, well, they'd abolished hanging by then, or else he was too young. They sent him to Broadmoor or somewhere. What was the name of the boy? Michael. I can't remember the other name. An Italian sort of name. Someone who paints. Raphael? That's right. There was a rumour that his father, being so rich, got him out of going to prison. But that may have been just talk. Was this the problem that I was supposed to solve? The savage murder of an infatuated young girl by Mr. Raphael's son? But what was there to investigate? It was all over and done with years ago. I saw very little of the sisters that day, and when we did meet at dinner, conversation was as polite and formal as before, except that Anthea seemed scattier than ever. I went to bed that night with a sense of failure. It was like a fishing expedition where the fish had failed to rise. What I really needed was to talk to Elizabeth Temple again. I was certain that she knew far more about the girl's death than she had told me. Come in. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to disturb you, Miss Marple. Oh, you're not disturbing me in the least. My suitcase is packed and I'm ready to leave. Well, uh, there's a young man downstairs who's called to see you, Emlyn Price. 
He's on the tour with you, I believe. Yes, of course. I remember him. Rather a lot of untidy hair. But what does he want? It seems there's been an accident. One of the people on your tour has been hurt. Did he say whom? Uh, Miss Temple, I believe. Elizabeth Temple. I'm so sorry. Elizabeth Temple? Do you mean the headmistress? Yes. Well, I had no idea that was whom he was talking about. I've heard of it, of course. Oh, I hope she's not badly hurt. I shall come down straight away and hear what Mr. Price has to say. It was on the way up to the Memorial Cross at the top of Bonaventure Rocks. Some huge stones came crashing down the hillside from above. It's rather a precipitous slope, and one of them hit her with full force. Oh. She was knocked out. They took her off to the hospital last night. And how is she? I gather she's rather bad. Anyway, the tour's off for today, and we're all staying on another night at the Golden Ball. Oh, dear, I really am very sorry. The courier went off to the hospital first thing this morning and said she'd join us at the Golden Ball at 11. I thought perhaps you'd like to be there when she brings us the latest news. Most certainly I would. I'll just say goodbye to these dear ladies who've been so kind to me, and then I will come back with you to the hotel. It seems it's more serious than we thought, Miss Marple. Very severe concussion. A specialist has been called in. The grass was very slippery. I nearly fell over once or twice myself. And quite a shower of stones came down just as I was turning a corner of the path. One of them struck me on the shoulder quite sharply. After a while, the party, tired of waiting for news, began to drift away in twos and threes into the town. Emlyn Price persuaded Joanna Crawford to escape from the eagle eye of her aunt and to go for a walk with him. Miss Cook and Miss Barrow went off in search of a post office. I was sitting in a quiet corner of the lounge when I noticed one of my fellow passengers striding purposefully in my direction. It was Professor Wanstead. I'm not wrong, am I? You are Miss Jane Marple. Yes, I am Jane Marple. I thought so from a description I had of you. A description of me? Yes, from Mr. Raphael. I think that it might be more pleasant if we were to go and sit on the little terrace outside the hotel. No one is likely to disturb us there or overhear what we say. Poor Miss Temple. Such an unfortunate thing to happen. Yes, very sad. And unexpected, do you think? Or not so unexpected? No, whatever do you mean by that? Mr. Raphael spoke to me about you at some length. He suggested that I should go on this tour to meet you and, shall we say, to keep an eye on you. To keep an eye on me? For what reason? He wanted to be quite sure that nothing should happen to you. And what should happen to me? Possibly what happened to Elizabeth Temple. You mean it wasn't an accident? I think it's just possible. I don't, of course, know anything about it. No, you were absent from the scene. You were on duty elsewhere. I don't know what you mean. You are being careful, and quite right, too. I have made it a habit. To be careful? I would not put it exactly like that, but I have made a point of being always ready to disbelieve as well as to believe anything that is told to me. You are quite right. You don't know anything about me. But things are slightly different now. You must make up your mind whether I am your enemy or your ally. You have given me no information on which to judge. You were a friend, I presume, of the late Mr. Raphael? No, I was not a friend. I met him once or twice. He knew about me. If I were to say to you that I am a man of some eminence in my own profession, would you think me conceited? No, I think you are probably speaking the truth. You are perhaps a medical man? In a sense. I am a pathologist and psychologist. And I specialize in medical jurisprudence, 
the study of the criminal brain. From what you are saying, I am hoping that you may be able to explain to me certain things about which Mr. Raphael preferred to keep me in the dark. I imagine that he wanted you to approach a certain set of facts and happenings unbiased by what anyone would tell you first. So you're not going to tell me anything either? Oh, really, there are limits. Yes, I suppose it actually is rather unfair. I will tell you a few facts that may make certain things clearer to you. Thank goodness for that. I have spent far too long groping about in the dark. I act as a confidential advisor from time to time for the Home Office, and I'm in touch with certain institutions in the prison service. Please, go on. I was approached by a governor who happens to be a friend of long-standing. He was not satisfied about a particular inmate in his charge. The man had been sent to prison when he was quite young, but he already had a formidable record. He had beaten people up. He was a thief, and an embezzler, and a fraud. In fact, he was a son who would be any father's despair. You are talking of Mr. Raphael's son? Yes, I am. What do you know about him? Precious little. I heard that Mr. Raphael had a son with a criminal record, but I really know very little about him. He was his only son? Yes. I think he did all that was possible for him, except give him love. He got him out of scrapes at school, he engaged top lawyers to get him released from court proceedings wherever possible, and then the boy was arrested on a charge of assault against a young woman. He was sent to prison for it, with some leniency shown because of his youth. But with his next offence, he put himself beyond any possibility of that. He killed a girl, is that right? That is what I've been told. He lured a girl away from her home. It was some time before her body was found. She had been strangled, and afterwards her face had been disfigured, presumably to prevent her identity being known. Not a very nice business. What an odd way to describe it. I don't like that kind of thing. I never have. If you expect me to feel sympathy or blame it on an unhappy childhood or weep over this young murderer of yours, I do not feel inclined to do so. I do not like evil beings who do evil things. I am delighted to hear it. But in the present case, my friend the governor became increasingly certain that the verdict was wrong. He did not believe that the boy had killed the girl and disfigured her. He wanted me to see him and to make a professional appraisal. Evidently a man of experience who loved justice. So did you go to see Michael Raphael? I did. I talked to him a great length, and I concluded that he was not a murderer. So what did you do? I went to see his father and told him that although there was no evidence and no grounds for appeal, the governor and I both believed that there had been a miscarriage of justice. I told him that there might be evidence, but that it would be expensive and very difficult to look for it. And what did he feel about his son? He was extremely honest with me, even if... Even uh, if he was rather ruthless? Yes, that's the word. But he was just and honest in a way I shall never forget. I've known what my son's like for years. I haven't tried to change him because I don't believe that anyone could change him. He's made in a certain way. He's crooked and will always be in trouble. But if he's not guilty of this terrible crime, then I want to see him vindicated. I want to get him released. I want to get him free to continue to lead his own life as best he can lead it. If somebody else killed that girl, I want the fact brought to light. I want justice for Michael. But I'm a very sick man, Professor. 
and my life is measured now in weeks. I happen to know an excellent team of lawyers. Your lawyers will be useless. I must arrange what I can in the time I've got left. I'll pay you well. I want no expense spared in investigating the case for me. But to assist you in the task, I must try to find a certain person. A Miss Jane Marple. If anyone can get to the root of all this, then it is she. I shall not give you her address. I want you to meet her in circumstances of my own choosing. Mm, and what is this lady like? That you will find out for yourself. She's elderly and a bit frail. She's a person who knows about people. And there's one other thing. She has a very fine sense of evil. She can sniff it out like leaking gas. Sniff evil out like leaking gas. How very strange. Would you say that was true? Yes, I think it is. I had an aunt who said she could smell when people told a lie. I can't say I can do anything like that, but I have at several times been apprehensive of the presence of evil. In fact, only yesterday. Yes, Miss Marple? Uh, on my arrival here, I was invited to stay with three sisters in an old manor house not far from here. They had been advised by Mr. Raphael that I was coming, and he had asked them to put me up for a day or two, since this part of the tour was rather demanding for an old person. And you took that as an indication of what you were to do? Of course. It was evident that he wanted me to go there. And did you learn anything? From the sisters themselves, nothing. But an old servant told me about the facts you've just given me. The terrible story of that poor young girl and Michael Raphael. And was there any connection with the three sisters? Only that they had been the guardians of the girl and had loved her dearly. But you were talking about a, a consciousness of evil. Not so much evil as a feeling of terrible melancholy. Though there was something rather disturbing about the youngest sister, Anthea. In what way disturbing? On the face of it, she was simply scatty. But I couldn't help feeling that she was frightened, as if she was being driven by some force she could not put a name to. Do you think that the sisters might know something about the dead girl's other friends? That there might be some rejected lover, someone with a grudge against her? Yes, it's perfectly possible. But there she is now. Who? Anthea, the scatty sister I was telling you about. The woman carrying the parcel. She's on her way to the post office by the look of it. All that floating grey hair, a kind of elderly Ophelia. That's exactly what I thought when I first saw her. You know, I'm haunted by the suspicion that there was something at the old manor house that I was meant to discover and that I failed to find it. But what? I have the feeling that my time there was wasted. At least it kept you out of harm's way for a couple of days. Now, I wonder what you mean by that. I have a nasty feeling that what happened to Miss Temple wasn't just an accident, and that something like that might well have happened to you. You may sniff out evil, but I scent danger. In part two of Agatha Christie's Nemesis, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Professor Wanstead, David Swift, Lavinia Glynn, Louis Ramsey, 
Anthea Bradbury Scott, Thelma Barlow, Clotilde Bradbury Scott, Mary Wimbush, Amy, Frieda Dowie, Miss Cook, Tricia Hitchcock, Miss Barrow, Delia Lindsay, Emlyn Price, Roger Moss, Mr. Raphael, George A. Cooper. Nemesis is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>